0: Welcome to the East Bay's best podcast, The Capstone Conversation. This is a show that interviews political, government, and community leaders in Alameda, Contra Costa, and Solano counties. We look at what is going on in your city, how are we developing things economically, and where are we going from here? I'm your host, Jared Ash. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. My wife and I are doing a costume drive to help homeless kids in
1: shelters right here in Contra Costa County. Uh, The costume drive will benefit about 80 kids at Shelter, Inc. here in the Concord area. So we're asking if all of our listeners can go ahead and purchase a costume. They're between $20 and $25 online. You can see it in the show notes. We have an Amazon wish list that you could purchase from. I'll put in the show notes, the Amazon link and more information via our Instagram account. If you can go on and grab it there, that would be great. I'll also post it to Jared Ash on LinkedIn. If you're not already following me there, it'll be with this episode. So if you could please do that, we need to get this wrapped up. Uh, in the next week or so. So we have enough costumes for all the kids for Halloween. Thank you so much for listening. Hit subscribe and thank you for uh, donating in advance to this costume drive and helping our community. That's what this podcast is about. It's about helping out people in the East Bay. And if we're really successful at this, maybe we could make this a much larger effort in years to come. This is our second year doing this. Thank you for donating.
0: Welcome to the Capstone Conversation. I am your host, Jared Ash. Today, we are venturing to our first interview in Solano County with Rick Vaccaro, a council member uh, from the city of Fairfield. And we're going to learn about what is happening on that side of the bay and what's going on. And when I was reading Rick's bio, he has a unique background compared to most typical politicians. He comes from the education space where he was a school teacher. And now you work, I believe, still with the education group, but I'll let you talk a little bit more about your background in a different capacity of teaching. But one of the things I found most interesting in your bio is we grew up about five minutes apart., nope. I was born in Porchester and <laughs> and lived in Rye Brook for twelve years. Oh, all right. We were born in Porchester and lived in Marinex, so we were all right. All right. All right. neighbors. Oh right. right. up there. And then we both migrated out west to the other right. south, maybe to get away from our families and create some distance. you go to Ryebrook High School? Um in Blindbrook. I did not. I left Blindbrook. before then, but my sister graduated from there.
2: Oh, okay. Okay.
0: I ended up graduating
2: from uh, a high school in Boca Raton, Florida, where we moved my junior and senior year. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I was born in the United Hospital, like my brothers and I and everybody in my family. Yeah. Moved out here. My my two older brothers were living out here and I came out to visit and I loved it. And I, at the time I was going to school back in New York, college and show and working for FedEx. And I transferred out to San Francisco, continued fin- trying to finish school, which I did, and then from there, I started teaching and became a school administrator at my wife's old school, Armio High School in Fairfield. And then my kids actually graduated from Armio. I, I went back as principal. I left for a year to go to elementary school and then came back as principal and then finished up the county office of education. I ran the court and community schools for 10 years. So I ran the juvenile hall program education program and the community schools program. So, I've been retired about six years, but I still do work in education. Uh, I work for Toro University out of Vallejo, and I work with the teachers and administrators who are trying to get their uh, credentials clear. Yeah, so I'm still very involved in, in education, yeah. And I do real estate on the side, <laughs> so I guess I'm not really retired. And I'm a city councilman, so I guess I'm really not retired. That's like the biggest volunteer position, right? For the
0: amount of hours you you put in for your city and your community yes. to do that work. Oh, it-
2: uh, just just before we start, let me just say too that I never had a desire to be on city council. I was appointed back in two thousand and eight when our young councilman was killed, Matt Garcia. Matt was a student of mine at Army O, and also a friend of my. Both my kids graduated high school with my daughter. When he was killed, his family asked me if I would take a seat on the council. So I went for it. I got it. And I was, my original plan was to stay three years that to finish his term. And then one thing led to another. And I keep getting reelected. Probably, I always say, because I'm not a politician, because I'm an educator and people know that. So I think they trust me to a certain extent, which is good. So I never thought I'd be on council for 15 years ever, but um, I've enjoyed it. I've gotten to meet a lot of different people. I've gotten to. Get more involved in business and other things that I wasn't before being in, in yeah. education. Um, so it's been been a great experience, it really has been. Yeah.
0: So, fifteen years in, you're not a politician yet. How long do you have to be in before you become a politician? I think up? some
2: pe- I I think some people are politicians before they get in. Let's just say that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. the hard The hardest thing for me to do is campaign. I I don't like campaigning. Okay. I don't like knocking on doors and, and asking people to vote for me. I think that's really difficult for me to do, but I do it anyway, because you have to, but yeah, I just feel like if people think I'm doing a good job, they're going to vote for me. And if they don't, then they won't. But I know there's work, I've put in a lot of work when I campaign. I just don't like it. It's just some people love it. I like serving better, you know, than campaigning. Some people like the opposite. They like campaigning better than serving. So. The,
0: it, it's, it's a principle that you're giving back in, in,
1: in service to your community. Right.
0: Yes. Um, so I usually like to talk about what's going on now, but you've been there for 15 years. What are some of the, what are, what are two of the things that you've done that you're the most proud of yeah. over
2: that time? Well, I think one thing, a couple of things, I think I've been an advocate for youth since I got on the council because that's one thing that I know Matt was only 22 when he was till. and I know that's one thing that he really wanted to do was to empower the youth in our city. I think I was able to do that because of my job, because I had so many connections with the young people in the city and their families. So I'm really proud of some of the young people that I've mentored that have become leaders in other fields, I guess you could say, in the city. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is As everybody knows, California has a growing homelessness problem. And a few years ago, my wife and I went down to Essentia, California to visit a shelter, navigation center. And it was a model for what to do with the homelessness issue. I took that model back, worked with a couple of people in the city about, hey, let's get, let's try to get something like this together, more of a regional approach. Started out with very informal conversations with two of us and Don and Labarro, who used to work for the city, and then Nolan Sullivan in, in, in Vacaville and a couple of others. Slowly, we were able to get Benicia involved, Sassoon City involved. Then Vallejo jumped in, which was really important because Vallejo is the largest city in the county. And then finally the county jumped in. And then from there, it kind of blossomed into a uh, JPA. And so we're right now, we meet once a month and I'm not going to say it's been really smooth because it hasn't been, because we're really, we need staffing because funding is an issue. So that's what we're trying to come and we have a meeting tonight, in fact, and I'm sure that's going to be probably one of the main topics, but I think we've been able to look at the issue from a regional perspective um, and say, hey, we need all our partners in the county to help out and uh, in this right now economically things are tough all over i think every city has a real budget issue right now i know fairfield does and i'm not saying anything that's a secret we do in our you know we, we've said it sales tax revenues down there's a lot of reasons why so that's one thing I've, i really want that to be something i can look back on and say hey i i did make an impact on that i think that one thing that i've always said too that as as a school administrator, and I believe the same thing as a uh, council person, is that if you can change the culture of where you're at and make it a positive, make a positive statement, then you can look back. And I feel like at the schools I worked with, every school I worked at, I think I really did make a positive impact. And I could look back and say, okay, we got a WASC accreditation. This, and then For the city, I I want to be able to look back and say, hey, we got this started and we got this homeless committee started and, or look back on some of the young people that I used to work with who are now become leaders. I sit on, I sit on the Fairfield Sewer District and three of the people on that sewer district were former students of mine. And now they're council people in Sassoon City. So it's kind of neat to see that and to be able to talk to them. They'll call me and say, hey, what do you think about this? So it's, it's nice to be, that's sort of my passion is to really mentor younger people who want to get into a leadership role and tell them about there's pitfalls involved, of course, cause not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to, I'll give you a quick example. When I was running for council in 2011, my son, our son, Nick was helping us. And, um, he was knocking on doors and he, he called me up on his cell phone as we're, uh, in different areas in the city and he said, Dad, this guy just said really nasty things about you, And I said, well, i just ignored it. He said, I can't ignore it. And then he said, he didn't want to do it anymore. And I didn't blame him because it's family. My wife says the same thing. It's like, that's something that it's too close to home. For me, it doesn't bother me. People want to yell at me. They, that's fine. People come to our council meetings and yell anyway. So you have to get used to that. You have to get used to that. During the summer of social justice in 2020, that was a very difficult time to be on a council because people were angry and they had a right to be angry. People were angry and, and really your job was to listen and just listen to people. And a lot of the people that were angry were young people. So to me, it was a good opportunity to hear what they had to say. It was, but, uh, but it was a hard, it was a hard time. It really was. People took aim at certain organizations, council, police. It was hard. The
0: episode that's airing the week before this one is with Walnut Creek council member, Kevin Will and Clayton councilwoman Holly Tillman. And they're going, they're in that episode talking about hate and anti-Semitism. Some marks, remarks that were made even more recently against Kevin, death threats against him, death threats that Polly has faced and. We're just going to be talking about how people can be more aware and it's okay if you want to disagree, but these, a lot of these people were actually coming from out of state, um, uh, via zoom and participating and it, it just hurt participation for everybody else. And um, Mm -hmm. somebody actually asked me on a pillow recently who a non-family member had a big influence on who I became and I named my elementary school principal who I should also say lived two houses down, and his daughter was my babysitter as a kid. But I grew up in a small town. There was like 30, 40 people in my grade. While I was in outside of New York City, we were in a big metro area. It was a small town, small school. And he was just this bigger-than-life man who just was there to help you. And I remember like, I left a book report at school one time, and I needed to work on it on the weekend. And he would open up the school He's like, no, look, he's like, yes, you made a mistake, but you're clearly going to learn from this. And he's <laughs> like, what I want you to take away is I want you to get the work done because you're willing to do it. Uh, right. And just little things like that. He really just influenced me to be a better person overall. <laughs> so I appreciate that you've done that for your students.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, I had a similar experience with a, a teacher back in New York. Same kind of thing. We I basically didn't go to school the second and half of my sophomore year. Cut class a lot. It was not doing very well. The whole thing got into a program my junior year with a bunch of people that just like me who were not going to school and doing things we shouldn't have been doing, which was pretty easy to do back then. Right. Same thing. Special teacher, Doug Tsunaki. I'll sure. never forget him. Changed my life. Changed, my, changed a lot of our lives because he was so hard on us, but he was so compassionate too. And, and I made sure that I touched base with him after I became more successful and told him it was really up to, it. it was him that did it. So that's why I think education is so, so powerful and you just never stop teaching once you've got into it. So,
0: so let's talk, I want to pivot to more about this homeless initiative. You guys are working on in the JPA, Right. talk about some of the specific steps or actions you guys are looking to take to solve a problem,
2: right? Well, for, first of all, I don't, think, I don't think the problem will ever be solved. I think you just have to try to work on it and work with it. And I think one thing we're really trying to do is get more outreach into the encampments, get more okay. mental health workers out there. I think my whole thing, and our, our, I know some of my colleagues on the JPA feel the same way, is that look, not everybody who's homeless wants to come into a shelter. They like the freedom. They like the lifestyle. They like the fact that they, they don't have the answer to anybody. I think that's why it's really important for us to go into those encampments and say, hey, if you did come to the shelter, if you did come to our navigation center, and maybe we can educate you more on why this is a good idea to maybe be here and maybe help you get a job or get, get you permanent housing. Uh, I think the, one of the big issues is a lack of education. I I was just at California League of Cities for three days, and I sat in on a a session that the City of Rialto did on how they're working on their homeless issue. And it's exactly that, where they're going out and they're talking to people, they're talking to these people and saying, "Hey, how can we help you? We're not forcing you to do anything, but how can we help you?" I, mean, I think that's the key. I think mean, if I understand, if I understand the frustration of a lot of our yeah. our citizens who want to just go in and sweep everything up and say, get rid of these shelters. We don't care where they go, drop them off in the next city, which was ironic because I think that used to happen sometimes to Fairfield. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's something that we really want to do. Another thing is our navigation center, Shelter Solana, we have to get that going as far as, you know, truly being a navigation center where people can come in and, and you can help them, maybe their, their next steps in their life. Because if you just have a day center where people are just dropping in, and that's fine. I think that's great. Dropping in and then leaving. And then maybe you don't see it for three or four days. The shelter that I saw down in Placentia, which I think I would love to do, is where that's where they live and they have their space. They could go out and work, but they have to be back at 5.30, 6 o'clock every night. And it's, it, it was 98 people in there and there were only two empty beds and it, it was very consistent. So I, that's one thing I think we have to work on. Oh, I know Valaiso is getting a navigation center now. Um, I think that's one of my goals is to try to work with all the different shelters in Salama County, not just the big navigation centers. There's other smaller shelters, but the problem with that is where the funding for those are harder to get right, than the right. big, than the bigger shelters. So yeah, that's something that it's not going to be, it's not an easy road and the county sort of the big kind of umbrella, right? That has all the, has all the resources, but we can't just count on them to do it, to do everything. We can count, we try to get them to do as much as possible. So I think that's the dance you do, where that political dance, right? Where it's like, hey, can you guys help us? How can we, how can we work together? I think we're making strides right now. And not as fast as I'd like, I'll be honest with you. But but I get impatient. So I'd like to see more, a little more movement. I'll probably say a few things tonight that might tick off a couple of people. (laughs) But that's okay. I don't Um, care. (laughs) As it's like you said, it's
0: not going to be ever totally solved. But as long as you could take incremental steps. So every six months a year, the the problem has, right, arguably gotten out of hand. So how do we help get those people benefits And and as this is going on, the, there's been a big issue with district, federal district nine in the courts where on these homeless encampments. And I think they just came out and said they they qualified some language that they had previously used. So it'll be interesting to see as now all the lawyers mm. read through that. And it, it says if you're, and I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a homeless expert on this court case, but I think they were saying if you're offering the people, the education and the opportunity to go somewhere and they're still refusing it, then you might have the ability to help clean up their area and move them to a safer area where for the last three or four years, that's just been banned. I I
2: don't know if you're following that at all. But yeah, I think you're, that's a hundred percent right. Yeah. I think that from what I understand, I, I know this is on the books for a little bit, where if you have the space for these people and they refuse. Yeah. Then you can say, well, then you have to go. And, and really there was, there, that was kind and I'm not, and I think that's good in one way, but in another way, I think that you still need to do that outreach. You know, yeah. You still can't, you still can't just say, Hey, we have a shelter. We have a bed for you. Are you coming or not? <laughs> right. Maybe you say, no, then get out of here. To me, it's like. If you have somebody who's in an encampment and they're from Tucson, Arizona, going to throw that out there and you work with that person and maybe you say, Hey, how would you like to go back home? Maybe we can reunite with a family member. And that does happen. And I can see that happening more, but but you're right though, that the ninth circuit, that was the Boise rule. That was, we're all real familiar with that. We definitely need some teeth. And I think that if that's going to be the case, and I, I think it is the case where we can say, okay, we have a bed for you. Say somebody's just being really belligerent about it. That's a different story. But I think somebody clearly has some mental health issues, physical issues. You have to work with those people before you. Yeah, before you tell them you have to go, and you still have to have a place to go, right? You can't. They're just
0: going to move to the opposite side of the street the next day. So that's correct, right? You got to have a plan. Okay, let's pivot and talk about. Downtown Fairfield. You guys have a lot going on. I've yes. out economic development because I do some economic development, consulting and community outreach. Mm-hmm. Talk about the downtown rejuvenation. You guys have some really cool things happening there in Fairfield.
2: We do, yeah. The heart of Fairfield plan, which was stalled for a long, I shouldn't say, stalled, well, yeah, so. it was kind of stalled. And I was kind of the big, one of the bigger proponents from the council saying, don't bring this back six months later with the same thing. I want to see movement downtown. So I think one thing the city's doing is it's making it easier for, you know, people to come in and start like a business, say a small restaurant or a brewery or a a coffee shop. I think we, we provide more impetus for them to come in than other cities. Our fees are better. Right Mm -hmm. now we've made a lot of changes to downtown because we really need to get that going. I think our council truly, that is. One of the main things that we talk about at our workshop, when I first moved to Fairfield or when I first started coming to Fairwood, Fairfield forty-one, forty-two years ago, because my wife was born and raised in Fairfield, so we'd come up and see her family, um, and it was still a very small town environment, and the downtown was pretty vibrant. We had a couple of really good restaurants, um, bakeries, coffee shops, uh, store, it was just, it wasn't dynamic okay but it was still like a small town downtown area and then over the years it deteriorated why who knows recessions businesses leaving nobody coming back in i think finally the city leaders felt like hey this is we have to get something going down here so now what we have new restaurants coming in which is which are exciting because we have nothing down there some new retail our community person, Christine, is doing more festivals down there. We had our tomato festival recently, which is huge. It's a weekend thing where thousands of people come in from all over. We've had a, a, a blues and brews festival. Uh, we have our Thursday uh, afternoon uh, market. Just more things. I think uh, October 7th, there's a Sacramento does that dinner on the bridge where they're right, like close to the bridge. So we're doing it in right in the middle of downtown where there's tables and Kind of a farm to fork thing. Uh, some of the local wineries provide the wine, the restaurants downtown provide the food. It's a fundraiser. So it's, yeah, we're doing, we're really working on downtown and I'm seeing the difference now, you know? So,
0: so one, it sounds like just a focus, right? A commitment from the council and city staff and some other organizations to pay attention to it. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like you've reduced your fees for permits here to your neighboring cities. What about time to permit? That always comes up in places, right? How do you feel like you're competing on that or what improvements have you seen there?
2: On the what? I'm sorry. Time, time it takes to get a permit. And- oh, um, I think we're getting better. I mean, that, that was one of the big issues for a long time. It took too long. And I think with our new city manager, David um, Gassaway, I think he's being very, very aggressive. He's very smart. Um, he knows that was an issue. And I brought it up a couple of times where a business would call me and say, Hey, Rick, where's our permit? What's going on here? It's been sitting in planning for the last five and six months. So I think that's changed a lot where we're really working on the businesses. We're really trying to get people to get start for startups right away. So I think overall in the 15 years I've been here, I'm starting to see a bigger change in that. And so the problem too is if you don't have the employees, we 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 were short employees for a long time. I think we're finally starting to get fully staffed, but um, for a while there, we didn't have enough people working in those departments. So, I think that's why the permits were just sitting there. But I, that's changed. Yeah, throughout the whole Bay Area, there's a a
0: large number of job openings within local government and agencies, and that's been a problem. And sometimes that's an opportunity for somebody like me to come in and say, "Hey." what do you need? Can I help with my expertise? And maybe I could share what I'm doing in one city and help another, particularly on the economic development, transportation planning front. So I like that. But it, it, part of it is, like you said, just a focus on bringing everybody together to
2: to help ju- rejuvenate an area. Well, you have, you have to believe in it. That's the thing. If you don't believe in it, then it's not going to work. And just like we were talking about the homelessness issue, if you don't believe in it, you don't believe that this is going to work, then why are you doing it? And, but I, my wife and I had lunch downtown at a new restaurant the other day and it was great. I said, wow, I didn't even know you guys were here. So that's, that was a nice surprise. I had heard about it and that's why I went. They'd only been there three weeks and I uh, like, wow, this is a great addition. So once we start getting more and more businesses down there, I think you're going to see, cause we have that beautiful county building, right? And yeah. Swan County yeah. office building, which is one of the nicer office buildings around. So you have all those people that could feed into downtown for lunch or happy hour after work, all kinds of stuff. So I think you're going to start to see that happening more and more.
0: Yeah. What you're talking about is a concentration, right? So you, so it's not one restaurant by itself isn't going to probably survive, but because yeah. you bring in a number of restaurants, a number of bars, a number of events, you're building foot traffic into a concentrated area. And I was talking to a city manager of a small city, uh, and they want to fill, they, they did a new building with the bottom, uh, mixed use space, right? They designed it for a restaurant that has the, the plumbing and the electricity designed already for a restaurant and they can't find a tenant. And their, mm. their biggest problem is it's in a beautiful location on the bay, but they don't have any of foot traffic. So other than that one mixed-use building, there's a park across from it, there's water, there's an easement area, you're 10 years away from having enough traffic for a restaurant to be successful. So I like how you're talking that scale and designing land as part of the the heart of downtown to build and dense with traffic.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the key things too is people need to be okay with bringing their families downtown. And I think that wasn't the case for a long time. Just because nobody wants to bring their kids down where you got businesses boarded up and the streets aren't that clean. And all that is starting to change. We're starting to put more murals up. Down there. I'm a firm, and I've said this over and over again, and I'll continue to say it. I am a firm believer in the the strength of our city is our diversity. Fairfield is an extremely diverse community. I used to say that about Armio when I was principal there, that it was sort of the microcosm of California. It's a percentage of, uh, Hispanic, African-American, white, uh, Asian. It was extremely diverse and that was, that's our strength. So why not celebrate it? Why not let's put up murals downtown to celebrate who we are. Some of that even comes out of Travis Air Force Base, where you have marriages from kind of mixed marriages from overseas come and settle in Fairfield, which has kind of been the beauty of the, of our city, I think why there's really not the racial tension here that you see maybe in other cities, a little bit north of us. I am a firm believer in that. And I, as a former principal, I would see that. And I was proud of our kids in our school because they know they grew up in an environment where people didn't hate each other. It didn't matter who you were, what race you were, what ethnicity you were. It was, it's really kind of a beautiful experience in its own way. So I think that's something that we need to celebrate more until the day I get off council, whenever that may be, I'll continue to harp on that. That's kind of been sort of my mantra, I guess.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. I, I That's great though. But just even talking about the murals and celebrating diversity and, and bringing artwork in just makes an area more a, attractive to build that foot traffic, right?
2: That's right. That's right. 100%. 100%.
0: So, and then your downtown, you guys have a business improvement district there that operates, right? Yeah. How has
2: that been instrumental in this plan? Well, I think it's encouraged, it's encouraged businesses to, to, to spring up, to grow. I know that there are certain areas downtown where, you know, that, that works. And I think that's, and that's kind of where I was alluding to before, but we're making it easier for, for businesses. I'll give you an example. We, business that I won't mention from another city, I uh, came to look at our downtown because they're interested in opening up a business there. And that was brought up about the business improvement plan. It just, and the one, his reaction to, wow, you guys are making it so much easier for me than the city I have a business in right now. So it it, it was encouraging. And I have a, a, a neighbor of mine who owns a, a coffee shop in downtown San Francisco. Who's actually looking to maybe open up a place in Fairfield because he's, well, number one, he started the commute and number two, he's, he's not real enamored with San Francisco right now with what's happening. Their homeless issue is huge, right? It's it's sort of out of control in many ways. So I was telling him about what we have down there and he was really excited. So I think we're, you know, we're reaching out to people to come to our city and to open up a business here. And it'll be good. And then we're a city of 120,000 people. We have the people. We just have to get, we just have to get them there. That's all. So. What
0: are other challenges you guys are facing with the city here? We'll just take a a few minutes. We've talked about homelessness. We've talked about downtown rejuvenation. What are other challenges or just even cool ways the city might be innovating to plan for the future?
2: Well, I'll just stick to uh, our big challenge right now is our budget. You know, that, that's our big. And whenever it's a budget, then it's also labor, right? And we, back in 2000, and what did the recession, or I got on in 08, so around 09, 10, everybody knows the recession hit and it was horrible. It was terrible for us. We had to lay off people, not we really more than lay off people. Most of our employees took a 10% pay cut and they understood. They didn't like it, but they did understand. It's either that or people are getting laid off. And that was a very difficult time. I had just got on the car. So all of a sudden, the good times are gone and we have to make some hard decisions. So I think then things got better. We were able to bring people back to their pay and actually give pretty decent raises to everybody. But now it's kind of back to where it's the budget issue again. And I think as far as innovation goes, uh, I think we have to figure out a way to keep our employees, still pay them a, a decent wage, but not out of control. I see the unfunded liability in some of our cities near us that are just unbelievable. So I think we've done a pretty decent job about that. There's a, a city north of us that for a long time had, if you worked for the city, you had lifetime, everybody has lifetime medical. Well, the, right, you wonder why their unfunded liability is so high, right? So we never did that. And I think that we're very cautious about, about our benefits. Actually, PERS is always on the radar, Across the cost of PERS. I'm a STERS person and a PERS, I guess you could say now that I'm on council, but that's always a concern. So I think as far as what we're trying to do, as far as the budget goes, I think we just have to be really careful about, about negotiations and how far we go. But on another topic, you were talking about other things we want to do. There's also our development, like we just located an apartment building, okay, in Fairfield. And I think for me, I see the I see apartments as something that are thoroughly needed we have, everybody has arena numbers, right? That we have to look at. I think we have like a, a lot of young professionals moving in here who want to live in an apartment, a nice apartment. So I think that's something that we need to look at and more of a a multi-use developments. I don't want any more housing only developments. I think to me that, I don't think that really works anymore. If you're going to say, Hey, I'm going to build 180 homes here and there's nothing else there, then you have food deserts and everything else. Right. Um, so I'd like to see more, more mixed use in our city in our developments. And I think that's starting to happen. I, I think I'll just. Just building homes is not going to work anymore. We need them, I get that. But we really do need mixed use more.
0: I'll give some advice on the mixed use is bring in some of the brokers that would sell that retail space that would be responsible for getting leases into it. Bring in some retail people in the process because what I'm seeing in cities going back to that one city I named is Mm. you got to make sure you got your height Enough, right? You Most developers say, Oh, well, I'm going to do the 10 foot ceiling because I make more uh, on the residential units. So I want to keep that ceiling low, but maybe you need 12 feet for the potential yeah. retailer. The other thing is just in that foot traffic that you're doing in downtown. Yeah. Don't expect just because you have one apartment building and a couple people that live above it, you're going to get a great coffee shop there. You have to have enough concentration still outside of that building for the coffee shop to Mm -hmm. be successful so just some things to keep in mind and and bring in those partners from the community from the chamber some of those restaurateurs or a coffee shop owner that's been successful in another location to say hey i'd love to just get your thoughts on this come tour it with our community development director Mm -hmm. cities often overlook that
2: so yeah i think we're trying to do that you're right though if we're gonna if we're gonna do that we need to People are experts in the field to come in and help us. We have some pretty good economic developers, development team right now. So they do a pretty decent job, but we could always use the help, right? Awesome. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Anything else you want to share before we head
2: out? No, I just, well, the last thing I'd say is I think that the city is heading in the right direction. Um, I like our leadership and I'm talking about our city manager and the, and the department heads we have a pretty young team pretty dynamic and i think they really want to move the city forward so for someone who's been on council 15 years i like that awesome (laughs) great thank you for joining us on the capstone conversation
0: i'm gonna ask all our viewers to hit subscribe so you get these regularly instead of just listening to one you could hear from all the other regional people in the area of what's going on in your community So thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time today, council member. Thank you very much, Jared. Please hit subscribe today so you get the weekly updates of when we release the next episode. And in October, where this will air, we are giving away a $25 Amazon gift card to somebody that leaves us a five-star review and leave the comments, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon. Thank you for doing that for us. I appreciate it. like to thank our sponsors capstone government affairs and economic development a firm where i serve as managing partner for more information check us out at www.capstonegov.com and follow us on linkedin by typing in capstone government thank you for listening to today's show check out the show notes. And for a full transcript, visit our website, www.capstonegov.com and follow us on LinkedIn by typing in Capstone Government, or you can find me, your host, Jared Ash.